Boss Uncaged is a weekly podcast that releases the origin stories of business owners and entrepreneurs as they become uncaged trailblazers. In each episode, our hosts, S.A. Grant and guests construct narrative accounts of their collective business journeys and growth strategies. Learn key success habits and how to stay motivated through failure, all while developing a boss uncaged mindset. Break out of your cage and welcome our host, S.A. Grant. Welcome, welcome back to Boston Cage Podcast. On today's show, we have a special guest. He goes by the name of Damon Burton, but I call him the SEO Beastmaster. And once he starts talking and tells you who he is and what he does, it'll make perfect sense why I call him that. So Damon, the floor is yours, man. Give an introduction to who you are. Thanks for having me, Chantel. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so uh, Damon Burton, um, I've been doing SEO for 14 years. I started a company called SEO International. Um, We've worked literally all across the board. I can tell you some funny stories in a minute. But, uh, you know, worked on the high end with like, NBA teams, worked with um, multi-billion dollar international real estate companies. And then on the other side of the spectrum, we still got our our first dozen mom and pop clients from 14 years ago. 14 years ago, still with us. Um, Married for 14 years as well and got three kids. So, and I have a beard. <laughs> and the beard is part of your your branding as well, right? It's become it's it's like taking on a life of its own for sure. So you know, if the listeners that, that can't catch this on video behind me in my backdrop is a, a logo of my face with the beard, and it just like one day I I just grew the beard out. Like I had the beard, but I looked very like Amish because I didn't have the mustache thing going on. And then one day I grew the mustache in. I don't know if I was lazy or what, but I, and then I was on a podcast, and this was like probably two years ago. And the person said something about my beard looking good. And I'm like, that was weird. And then I posted a picture on Facebook or something a couple of days later. And then I just kept getting people commenting on my beard. So I'm <laughs> like, let's, let's just see where this goes. And it just took on a life of its own. <laughs> and then from that, you get brand equity. Just... <laughs> yeah, yeah. So gotcha, I ran gotcha. with it. So, I mean, just, just tell us a little bit about your business. I mean, just start with like the, the bare basics. I mean, how did, how did you even get into SEO? Yeah, so those that aren't familiar with SEO, it stands for search engine optimization. Uh, the, the the abbreviated answer of what that is is your goal is to have your website show up higher on search engines for words that you can monetize, but without paying for ads. So I got into it. Um, my background was originally design. So me and my team, we still do a lot of design. We just do way more SEO. And um, what happened was, I mean, how far back do you want me to take this? I get, I, I, mean, I got take it back to the roots, man. So. Um, when I was in high school, the you know twenty something years ago, they didn't have WordPress, they didn't have Dreamweaver, and these they didn't have Shopify and these these builder programs, and so I had to learn HTML by hand. But I tell you what, now that's like the best thing ever because when you use those programs, they don't know if the thing looks ugly; they just do whatever you tell it to do. So it's nice to go in there and manually override things. So I kind of picked up a little bit of HTML back then, and then um, when I went to college there was a communications class and they said, hey, we're going to learn some HTML as well. And so I said, sweet, I, I know a little bit. Um, and what happened was the, the teacher says, all right, we're going to build a website and it has to have A, B, and C, this criteria. And I got thinking, I'm going to spend a lot of freaking time on this, this project. And then at the end of the semester, they're just going to delete it off the school servers. So I thought, why don't I ask if I can buy a domain and, and keep it? And so I built up this car enthusiast website because, of course, I'm a young 20-something male. So, of course, I'm into cars. And so I built like this car hobby site where I'd showcase local cars that I would see. I'd, I'd be driving down, um, you know, Main Street or whatever, and I'd see somebody else's nice car. And I'd like wave them down. And uh, surprisingly, the majority of people would pull over. And I'd keep these little sheets in my car and I'd say, hey, you know, I feature cars. Can you tell me a little bit about it? Can I take a couple pictures? And so I built like this little profile website for cars and and it ended up getting i ended up noticing that it was getting traffic so then i said okay well how do i make this better and that's when i got more into design and then after it continued to grow i said how do i monetize this and that's when i got into marketing and then i i was the guy that did web designs on the side that i'm sure a lot of people know know somebody or do that themselves and and then the point where i went all in was my day job was contributing 
about half my income, but it was taking up 80% of my time. And my, my, you know, side hustle was taken, taking up 20% of my time, but providing 40, 50% of my income. And so when I got to the point where I could cut off the day job, which would suck losing half your income, but still pay my bills and free up that time, that seemed like a pretty good calculated risk. And so that's when I made the jump. Um, and freeing up that time made that income back in two or three months and the rest is history i guess here we are 14 years later got a team of 20 and work with some of those clients that i touched on earlier nice 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 so i mean uh, back to the, the whole seo beast master thing and the reason why i deemed them this is it we kind of found each other through facebook kind of became like facebook friends so you know by default through facebook you know through the algorithm things kind of pop up based upon what you like to see so mm-hmm. every time I would log into Facebook, like your stuff started popping up. And I was like, cool. And then I kept on, you know, you like this and you like that. And then more information started popping up. And then yeah. I think your, your, your comedic side started kicking in, right? You started doing like yeah. the, the double heads, the triple heads. <laughs> right? yeah. Yeah. You started playing with yeah. the cartoon stuff. So, I mean, kind of like dive into that a little bit. I mean, yeah. most people think that when you're talking about SEO, it's just keywords, but they don't mm-hmm. realize there's a lot of creative that goes into those keywords and, and finding the trends. So why don't you touch on that a little bit? Yeah, so we can talk about some of the fun stuff and then some of the boring stuff. You know, let's get the boring stuff out of the way. So there's SEO is obviously the, there's a lot of moving parts, um, but if you really condense it down, it's kind of what you touched on. There, it's basically two categories. First category is what you do on your website. Second category is what you do externally to your website. So the stuff you do on your website, in the first category is good content, good user experience. Does the website load quickly? Is it mobile friendly? Now what? We'll, if you want to go like even deeper on that, you talk about keywords. Yeah, usually the stereotype that people that comes to mind when people talk about keywords is just like stuffing keywords, and also stuffing keyword's into a little snippet that that used to be called meta keywords. And what's interesting is is if you ever have an SEO guy say we need to optimize your meta keywords, just run because Google is on record as far back as two thousand nine, over a decade ago, saying we don't even look at those anymore. So it's it's not what you think anymore. It's largely about building credibility. And so basic the, the short version of how you do that is you tackle category number one, which is make sure the website loads quickly, it's good user experience, has good design. But then most of the gains actually comes from the ongoing process, which is the external credibility. You know, do other websites talk about you and link to you? And that comes through good content, good user experience, because you know, as long as you solve problems and answer questions and provide a good product, then people are gonna share your link and talk about your website. And you know, maybe the last thing I'll talk about on this topic is you mentioned like keywords. And so you have to really put in a lot of effort to figure out what you're going to write about. So even before you write, you have to go do competitive analysis and keyword research, and you have to really align what you offer with your buyer's intent instead of just, I'm going to talk about this thing because this thing is in my industry. Like, who cares? So you really have to, there's tools, and depending on where this conversation goes, I can give the listener some free tools. But you have to really figure out what is your audience, like what the hell do they want to know? Like they don't want to, they, they, they may want to buy your thing, they don't want to be sold. They want to come to the conclusion on their own that that will solve my problems. So how do you present creative, entertaining, problem-solving content to get them in the door? Then they see your thing. Then they buy because they trust you. So that's that's the boring thing. The fun, you know, you're talking about humor. Um, yeah. So SEO sounds sounds really techy, and it, to an extent, it is. And you know, I wrote a, a book earlier this year, and it was like the same thing. I was like, how do I write a book without boring the shit out of people on SEO. And so I started the book with stories um, about fun things that have happened throughout my career with SEO, but throughout it, they underscore and emphasize the power in it. And so that's what I try to do on social media is not be a, not come in there with the one, two, three steps and the boring things like you need to audit your website and... you know. So I try to come in and be like, hey, here's this cool thing that we accomplished. And here's how, or, and share it in, like you said, a storied way. Or I try to show some personality because, um, uh, you know, another thing, depending on where this conversation goes, is, is I get a lot of success and traction through social proof and just giving away free answers and being personable and building trust with an audience. And so that's what I try to do is just be like, hey, here's this cool thing, and here's a funny double headed picture, me, half man, half woman, <laughs> or whatever it is, well, you know. Yourself, right? <laughs> or hugging two demons, yeah. 
It's hilarious, Eric. I mean, a good segue. You brought up your book. Got it in hand yeah, right here, right? There you go. Yeah. So I think one one of my like solid chapters, I think, is chapter six: the content, how much, and how often. And mm-hmm. just looking through that content, I mean, you pretty much have an entire year's worth of guidance on step by step, not necessarily yeah. a handholder, but here's a topic and here's a reason why to discuss it. So I just dive yeah. into that a little bit. Like, how did you come up with these 12 months worth of content? Yeah. So what uh, essay is talking about is there's, um, you know, writing sucks. Like for 90% of us out there, writing sucks. But at the same time, we know we need to do it. And so years ago... Um, I would say out of the 14 years of running the company, I'd say maybe like, you know, 10 years ago, we were the, the budget provider. And because what we would do is we'd say, okay, it, you know, we, we bring a certain value for a certain price point, but I've always been very morally driven. So obviously, yeah, that'd be awesome to make more money. But at the time, I didn't feel like I brought enough value to justify having higher prices. And so in that, you know, time frame, what we would do is since we didn't, at the time, we didn't have in-house copywriters, and so we would talk to the customer and say, hey, you know, content's really important. Here's kind of like a game plan. You're the expert in whatever you sell, like go write the content. And it would just never happen, which, which is understandable because business owners are running businesses. And so then we said, all right, well, we'll write it, but you tell us what to write about. Same problem. It just never happened. So then when I, the, the first instance of that content outline that you're talking about was born eight, 10 years ago. And um, it freaking sucked, man, to come up with that because what we had to do is we had to say, okay, we can't predict, we can't proactively come up with content for every client right now because every client is going to be in a different industry with different audiences. But can we come up with like a general outline to help us get a head start? And so what we did is we mapped out like a 52-week content calendar, like this 12-month kind of thing that had reoccurring events. And the keyword is reoccurring. Because I didn't want to have to have the team map out all these ideas and then throw it away at the end of the year. And so what the plan and the, what the outline in the book that you're talking about is a general outline. It's not going to be for everybody. There's not going to be a topic for everybody. There's not going to be a topic for every month. But it should be able to give you... like It should give you that light bulb where you go, Oh, okay. I get it. So here's a good uh, you know, process, a mental approach to... Ha- to coming up with content that not only will attract the right audience but solve their problems, but I can come up with content in a creative way. So, so that chapter has two things. One is a very literal outline that can kind of give you a, a head start. But then more importantly is you know, the thought process. Like how do you come up with a better, more relevant outline on your own? Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. So, I mean, since we're on the topic of the book, right? I mean, obviously, to your point, writing a book, if anybody doesn't know, it sucks unless you love writing, right? Mm. So, <laughs> so I mean, how did you come up with, with the title? It was like, you know, you did a two-part thing where the title is outranked and then obviously mm-hmm. you, some keywords driven. So, I mean, how did you come up with the title of the book? Uh, the, the title took a while. I sat on it for a while. I had a couple ideas and I'd see which one would resonate. So, I, you know, it's tricky to find the balance between what do you think you should put versus for stereotypical reasons what would perform better what would whatever 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 versus like passionately what you want to put so i just kind of sat on it for a while and then the subtitle i wanted to kind of clearly communicate what they could get out of the book and and you know the book cover is really simplistic it's clean white space and it's not like one of those pukey kind of things so i just in all things i'm more leaning towards simplicity as as we grow and as i grow personally and so i i just kind of sat on it till I could find the right balance of what was me and what the book offered in a simplistic way. Nice, nice, nice. So with, now that you have the book, right, you have an agency and, and that agency, it looks like you have two folds, you're a consultant and you're doing some design work. What's like the biggest hurdle you had to overcome to get to where you are from? Um, documenting processes is always the one that stands out because of how long it took. Um, I've always been aware of the importance of documenting processes, but here's the problem that I had. So when I was in, you know, my company, I started from the ground up, never taking on funding. It was slowly add another person. Like I would stretch myself and the team to, to as far as we could before we had to grow out of necessity. And so it was a slow progression, but um, you know, 
it worked awesome for me because um, I think throughout those years, you learn certain things that you like and don't like and how to approach business. And I was able to fine tune the business and how it would grow in a way that I wanted it to grow. Um, so, you know, the, the part about scaling and documenting processes was when we were going through some of those, those growing pain eras, um, it was probably about year four in the agency. I had processes on, you know, some on a spreadsheet and some in my head and some wherever else. And I had a couple things happen, like all within a short time frame that really underscored the importance of documenting processes. So what those things were, was one was I had a, a venture capital company come to me and say, hey, we're buying... Um, your friend's company. So my friend kind of made the intro and he said, we're buying your friend's company, their marketing agency, but they don't do SEO. It'd be really attractive if we could kind of lump you guys together. And then now we got what he does and then, and then SEO as well. So I ended up declining. I, I went to a meeting, but declined the negotiations because it just didn't feel right. But when we were in there, I learned that if you ever exit your company, the buyer wants to know where the fuel, where the fire is so they can pour more fuel on it. So your sales, how do they just throw more money at sales? And then they want to take the keys and run. So that was the first thing. You have to have turnkey processes. But while that happened, within a couple of weeks, I was also listening to two audiobooks. One was 4-Hour Workweek and one was E-Myth Revisited. So a lot of people will be familiar with 4-Hour Workweek. Now, I didn't take away like a ton of... My head didn't explode reading the book because a lot of stuff I was familiar with. But the main thing I took away was, um, why, don't I have, why, don't I, why don't I scale? Why don't I have more people? And so at the time, I had maybe two VAs. And then within, I don't know, two or three months, I had like five or 16 members. And so I doubled, tripled and just started adding more and more and more people. But I couldn't do that until what is presented in the other book, E-Myth Revisited. So E-Myth Revisited is about make your company dependent on processes and not people. And so then the combination of the venture capital thing and E-Myth Revisited, I had to tackle that to get to the scaling with with four hour work week. And so at that point I started documenting processes. And when I documented, um, it took it was like an hour or two every other day for, for about a year. It was a long freaking time. And the reason why it took so long is because I other than having to make slight adjustments as time went on, I never wanted to do it again. I wanted to just knock it out of the park, make sure as long as I had a, an employee that could read and follow directions, like they couldn't screw it up. And so I went through and recreated and manually, personally did every single conceivable task that I could think of that our company could ever do. And so I documented how to audit a website. I documented how to launch a new design. Like I documented uh, customer touch points on day one, welcome them and tell, send them an email that says this. And on week two, have another team member send them an email that says this. Absolutely everything is just perfectly streamlined now. And so now it's awesome because... I can just go in and push a button and kick out 200 tasks to 20 different team members in 50 seconds and guaranteed quality control, um, good user engagement. And so it was, it, it, it sucked in that moment, but I knew it would be worth it. Yes. I mean, you bring up a really solid point. Cause I mean, even in like my agency and my business, I'm going through that, that phase right now to where I'm hiring people, right? We have PAs, we have VAs, we have somebody for pot. We have, a million different people do a million different things, but mm -hmm. I'm spending more time in developing my, my project management side of my strategies. Mm -hmm. And so to your point, when you're documenting these tasks, right, are you're like taking small bites of bigger pieces or you're just literally going linear, step one, log in, step two, do this, step three, step four, step five, and then you end up with 25 million steps. Yep. Gotcha. As, as granular as possible. Because what happens is... Um, if you like you as a business owner you it something may come to you intuitively or it may seem like common sense so in your mind it's steps one through five and that's it but in between there there's these gray areas where the other person doesn't have the experience that you do they don't make the assumptions that you do and so then instead of five steps really there's 20 potential steps and they're gonna so you got a difference of 15 action items and they're probably going to make the right assumptions on five of them. But those other 10, they're either not even going to see them or they're ready for lunchtime. And so they're going, to, they're going to miss those super tiny things. So I went as granular as possible. And then that, that also improves your quality control because I don't want to babysit my team. I want absolutely nothing to do with micromanaging. And so when I fire off a task, like 
hit the ground running, guys. But if you need me, I am 100% here. But as long as you can read direction, read and follow directions, you shouldn't need me. And so um, I, I went as granular as possible to, to maintain productivity and forward momentum and quality control and, um, you know, just... <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I think I think we went off task, but I think this is really a good segment for anybody that, that owned a business because a lot of times business owners they're always chasing the to dos, what to do next. Is it complete? Is this employee doing what they need to do? But to your point, I mean, the reason why you are where you are is that you have turnkey systems in place that at any drop of a dime you can kind of you know I, I take it that you're documented in the fashion to where it's online. You kind of send mm-hmm. them like a little portal somewhere mm-hmm. they can review it. And then mm-hmm. they can kind of hit the checkboxes and continue from there. Is that? Yeah, exactly. We use a platform called Insightly. There, there's a bunch of other ones. Uh, there's, there's one new one that's like taking a lot of market share called ClickUp. Um, they, they all have pros and cons. Uh, but yeah, I mean, for the most part, you can document. The, there's a bazillion. A lot of people use Basecamp. A lot of people use Trello. Gotcha. Um, yeah, so just find out what works for you. But, you know, it's, it's interesting. So two things come to mind on that topic is, um, you know, I have one client that, um, he has, it's just in his personality to want to see everything that comes in and out the door of the company. And so I was talking to his assistant and his assistant was saying that, cause I was calling out the client. I was like, look, you're, you're, you're not getting back promptly, which is slowing down what we can do, which is slowing down your return on your investment. And so, um, you know, we've been working together a long time and so I could comfortably bring that to him in a polite way. And when I was talking to his assistant about it, she's like, oh yeah, he's getting behind because he has our emails hooked to his email too. And so-and-so's email, he sees everybody's email. I'm like, well, <laughs> you know, I didn't, I didn't dive into the conversation with her on that. But when she said that, I'm thinking what a massive waste of time and what a massive added layer of stress. So, um, you know, if that's you, 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 the reality is you have other, and I mean this very, very literally and, and with all, all due respect, you got something else going on that's causing your interest to maintain that control. You need to address that and get rid of that control issue. Um, there was something else. I don't remember what it is. I'll come back when I remember. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So- I think, I think, I mean, this is all solid points. And this is, I mean, this is what the development of this podcast is really about. It's like really diving into like global issues of business owners and the solutions in place. So, I mean, obviously we're talking about SEO, but you dove into a space that I couldn't just let go, let it pass right. Right. Yeah. So with the, with the, the, we always hear about the 20 years it takes someone to become a success that always seems to be like an overnight success. Like you just popped mm-hmm. up on the internet yesterday. How long mm-hmm. did it take you to get to where you are right now with your systems in place? And with your name recognitions and, and, and all, you're on Forbes as well. So how did you, how long took you to get there? Um, it went in phases. So I, I actually really like talking about this topic because there's one thing that I find really powerful to talk about. And that is to be uncomfortable with the unknown. And what I mean by that is like, don't, don't get ahead of yourself and pick a path because you feel like you need to pick a path. And we can talk about social media wins and stuff like that, like you talked about where you know things are glorified. But I'll come back to that in a minute. But you, I think it's way more damaging to stress out and pick a path because you see other people winning. They might be like one step ahead of you or two steps ahead of you or 20 steps ahead of you. And so you're like, crap, I'm 30, I'm 40, I'm 50, I'm 18, I'm whatever. And my friends, my colleagues, they're the same age, give or take a year. And they're, and I feel like they're so far ahead of me. Who gives a shit? Because here's, here's what happens. Like I get that it's, it's a natural thing, but you need to take a step back and realize it's a natural thing and, and then just acknowledge it and go, oh, that's a natural thing. Okay, now I see that. Now I can chill out. Because what happens is if you pick a path that you are not committed to, you're going to hate your life in 10 years and you're going to throw it all away and you're going to feel like you wasted all this time. You're going to be even more miserable. And so I would way rather take delayed gratification, figure it out as I go, and then be 100% solid on where you're at, even if it took longer to get there. So like one, one metaphor that I give is, is date your jobs or date your career. And so when I was going through my jobs, I'll, I'll give you some examples. I'm, like my first job, I was, a, I was a janitor at a junior high when I was 16 years old. And what I learned from that job was um, 
it, it was technically a government job because it was at a school. And so I would work Monday through Friday. I had all weekends off. I had all holidays off. Um, I'm, and so that taught me like this, this is cool to have a right balance, right? I, I, at the time when I was 16, so I had that job when I was 16, 17. So I would get off at school at 2.30. I'd go do the janitor thing from like 3.30 to 7.30. So I still had nights off more or less, had all weekends off, had all holidays off. And so I was like, this is cool to be able to do everything. I can still do everything. I can, I, I'm not working a graveyard and, and being super tired at school the next day. And on a funny note, like to this day, when I go and put a garbage bag in my kitchen, I do this little flip tie, poke a hole in the bag thing that I learned from doing the, as a janitor, you know? So I took that, moved on to the next job. The second job was I worked at Michael's Arts and Crafts. I was just an everyday dude that worked on the floor. And um, I just gave it my all. You know, it's not like you're doing brain surgery or anything dramatic, but I just really committed to just doing a decent job the little stuff. And what happened was at 17 years old, I was asked to be an assistant manager. And so the lady, her name's Christy, um, Christy and I are still friends 20 years later. And what happened was, um, Christy hired me. She was, she was offered, a she was an assistant manager. She was offered a, a manager manager job and then said, Hey, we're going to open up this new store. It's like two hours North. You want to come with me? And I'm like, hell yeah, but uh, wait a second. I'm 17 and I live at home. <laughs> so, so I couldn't go take this job, but as luck would have it, uh, a couple weeks later, my family was moving North. And so I ended up being about half an hour away from this place. So I said, Hey, I, I think I can actually do this. Is the job still on the table? And she said, yeah. And so she gave me an opportunity to go be um, an assistant manager at 17. And I remember closing the till on Christmas Eve. And I don't remember how much money it was now, but I'm thinking, this is nuts. I'm 17 and I got, I mean, it was like 50, 80, 100 grand in cash and sales in that day. And just the amount of responsibility that I had was like really empowering. And so I took that, went out of the next thing, went on the next thing, went on the next thing. So I got all these stories about just really mediocre average jobs that I took something away from and applied it to the next thing, which as we talked about my car enthusiast website, I took what I learned from that and applied it to the next thing, next thing, next thing until I had like this perfect opportunity in SEO land where I could quote unquote marry that career after dating so many others. So, um, I mean, that's one answer, one answer that I'll take a pause and you know, we can run wherever you want from that. <laughs> no, no, no. I think, I think it's de definitely solid. I mean, in that you found your, your niche, right? And you always hear people that are diversified and, but they started with a particular niche. So you have a design background you have some coding in there and you kind of hopped around a couple of different jobs. So then you dove into this SEO niche, which has mm -hmm. flourished, right? I mean, but mm -hmm. you're still using everything else that you have in, in yeah. your arsenal as well. You're just disguising it underneath SEO, but you have an opportunity once you get in that front door that you can present mm -hmm. all your other services. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's some added value to that. Um, I, I definitely stay in my lane. Um, I never wanted to be an agency owner that says they do it all. And, and then it's kind of mediocre to all of it. Uh, and that's really, paid off well for us because usually by the time like I don't have to go do outbound sales I've never had a sales team I've never you know we're a marketing company we've never paid for marketing and so by the time that people come to us they're they're either referred from a client that's had good success or referred from somebody that just sees the social proof and trusts what we put out there and so usually by the time somebody comes to us they're just like hey let's go on a one-time date all right you're the right guy you know take my money so there's a lot of value in social proof and, and to kind of come full circle to what what when you brought this topic up we talked about how social media kind of glorifies wins and things take 10 or 20 years that that's a huge problem with social media i think that entrepreneurs should celebrate their wins and i don't fault I don't fault the ones that are just only show the wins and the highlight reels. Like I get it. But like, if you go follow what I post last week, I posted about losing two clients. And so I think there's a lot of value in being transparent. And honestly, the ones, the times where I say, ah, oh, the sucky thing happened is probably when I get more engagement because people are like, Oh, that person's real or I can relate. And you become much more relatable if, if you don't just get out there and, a humble brag about every freaking thing. So, um, with those super long answers, the short answer to how long it took me to get here, um, I I would say year four was a good spot. You know, year four or five, kind of around there. Because when I first started the company, I was early twenties, and uh, you know, I I 
a while ago, I said it was just cool to like go through that process and evolve, even though it may have been slower than other other methods. But um, it was cool just being self-employed for a year or two, and being in my twenties and drinking a beer at ten a.m. because I was in it. I was in my twenties, <laughs> you know. And so um, it was cool to go through those phases and look back on those and remember and and see how far I've come. So year four four-ish stands out and then year 10-ish is probably where um you know most people would look at my life and say you've accomplished respectable things um but i don't i don't ever compare anybody to what i like i'm in this for myself like i'm my own motivation i'm my own competition so you talked about writing for forbes and this and that like it's just another day like i don't even notice those things until like every day i don't wake up and go I've done these cool things. It's just like, what more can I do today? Because it's just what I motivates myself. Nice. Nice. Definitely. So, I mean, so collectively, so where are you now? Are you at the 10, 15, 20 year mark? Uh, yeah, I started the company in February, 2007. So I'm a 14 ish. Nice. 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 So what's one thing that you would be able to do differently if you could do it all over again to get you to where you are a lot faster? I would I would have done the documenting processes quicker and and scaled quicker. I wouldn't have changed, I wouldn't have changed a single thing, um, or how I approach things. I would have just maybe done that thing a little bit sooner had I realized better. I, I understood the value, and I was aware of the value, but I didn't understand it. And so I I would have done the same things just slightly quicker. Got it. Got it. So I mean, with that, I mean, so this is talk about like return of investment. You don't have to disclose numbers. So let's say ten years ago, before you had your documents in place you were at X, right? Mm -hmm. Amount per annual. Fast forward 10 years later or, or seven years later, you have these systems in place. What's the fold of that return of investment from then until now? Is it 10X? Is it 5X, 6X? Um, I can give you general, general examples. And then I can also, why don't I actually give you a, a specific story too? So when we finished documenting processes, I had a huge international company um, that was referred to us. The they wanted a contract that ended up being about 10 grand a month. And I couldn't have, I couldn't have, I'm, like I said, I'm very morally driven. So I couldn't have bid on that if I didn't think we could deliver. And, and that opportunity to bid came within like a month after we finished all that. And so it was perfect timing. Um, and, and let's say I was one of those shady guys that was just, you know, I just want the money and even we'll figure it out later. Um, let's say I did that, we would have failed miserably, which would have been a huge impact on our reputation. And that client has since sent half a dozen other referrals and we wouldn't have had those. So, um, you know, one very specific example is 10 grand a month, $120,000 a year. Um, but if I go back before that, it was probably like years one or two. Like I said, it was just cool to be self-employed. So, you know, I went from 50 grand to a hundred grand, basically like a one man show. And then um, years two through four, it was averaging probably a hundred something grand, and went up to two to three hundred grand. And then um, then we were probably at half a million for a few years, and, and just kind of kept on going. Nice, nice, nice. I mean, obviously, the proof is in the pudding. I mean, and I just bring that topic up because I want people to really understand. Like, not only are you an SEO guy, but you've hacked into one of the life hacks, which is creating systems that are repeatable, that work, and that's the only way you can really scale. And it, you're, mm -hmm. it's, you're doing it live now. So mm -hmm. definitely, definitely a testament to who you are. Um, in addition to that, right, you're an entrepreneur. You're a full-blooded entrepreneur at this point. I mean, you got multiple different revenue streams. You got multiple things going on. Do you come from an entrepreneurial background? Any family members or entrepreneurs? Not even close. <laughs> well, my dad, my dad kind of fell into it. My dad owns his own plumbing business. So he was like a, he was like a, you know, get down dirty, like handyman for years. Um, I think he just kind of got lucky and, and he'd agree um, where he's kind of found a sweet spot where he can still be his, you know, get down dirty guy, but he's just like a one man show. He'll, he'll bring in, um, he calls them helpers. He'll bring on somebody to help him out every once in a while. Um, and he does good, you know, he, he does good for a one, a one man kind of person. Um, other than that, not even close. I am by far the black sheep in the family. Like, you know, I, I love, I love my siblings, but, um, you know, the majority of them have dropped out of high school and, and do the, just kind of the normal job kind of thing. Um, but I, I think I've, yeah, I'm, I'm 
the only one that's really been like forward thinking and what can we do from here? And, um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of stalling and, and talking because I actually had an interesting conversation yesterday with, with, um, I'm the oldest of seven. And so I had a conversation with three of my siblings yesterday. And, um, you know, the, the one thing that I get the most out of what I've accomplished and, and I posted this yesterday or today on social media is that when you reach a certain point of success, um, you know, you hear that money, money doesn't make you happy and, and money is an amplifier. So if you're miserable before money, you're going to be miserable after. Um, but if you have some goodness in yourself and you get money, then, then what I pride myself most on is being able to gift experiences to other people. And so I talked about this morning, I said, money doesn't buy happiness, but the, the ability it affords me to gift other people does. And so the, the reason why I'm, um, you know, almost getting a little choked up here is because like my thing is literally gifting other people's experiences. And so yesterday um, I got my siblings on the, on the phone, um, which is like, I couldn't even tell you the last time I got the three older ones on the phone with in one single phone call. And so I said, Hey, look, all of your guys' birthdays are coming up in the next two months. You guys want to go to the beach. And so like, and I mean, that, and, and you know, this is, this is a little biased because it's my siblings, but it's, this is not the norm. The norm is complete strangers and, you know, other people that I have very loose ties to. There was a gentleman that um, had been following me, probably a similar relationship to you and I, you know, we, we know each other loosely, but we have good, good friendship on, on social media. And he, re- he flew in from Australia and I'm in Utah and he says, Hey, I'm flying to Las Vegas. How far away is that? And I said, close enough. And it's, it's, it's a one hour flight for me. Never met the dude. And so I, I, he's like, let's just go grab coffee or lunch or something. And I said, yeah, I'm totally down. So what I did is he didn't know that not only did we go meet up for coffee, but I got a limo and I booked, um, there's a place out there called Exotics Racing where you can drive like supercars and Lamborghinis and Ferraris. And so I picked the dude up in a freaking limo and he's like, what in the hell is going on? And then we went out to this racetrack and I threw him in a race car with a, a professional drifting driver in it. And like, he still talks about it to this day. Um, so like, that's just my thing. I mean, a couple of years ago, I, I paid off all the student lunch debt for all the title one schools in the County, which are like low income schools. Um, the money's awesome. I, but, but the, the freedom that it gives you, I don't, I don't look at my money as like, Hey, you know, I'm financially rich or whatever you want to say. But, but I do look at it like, I like having that stability. And now that I, now that I know my bases are covered, what else can I do? And so it's, it's really fun to be able to kind of gift experiences to other people. And, um, like my wife is going on a girl's trip with some friends, um, in two weeks and she's like, I want my one friend to go. And her one friend just happened to come over that week. And I said, Hey, do you want to go? She's like, I can't afford it. Uh, and I was like, do you want to go? you know? And so, um, damn it essay. I don't know why you got me on this, but this is getting me in the feels. So (laughs) it's all part of podcasting, man. You gotta, you gotta dig deep. Right. So, I mean, I I, I love it because I mean, I was, we could sit here and talk about SEO. We talk about business all day, but I mean, this is the testament to who you are, what kind of business person you are, your, your life behind the scenes. And I, I think that anybody that, that has a human factor to them could definitely relate to your messaging and they want to be where your shoes are. I mean, you hear about the stories with people going to supermarkets and the person in front of them is short and they have opportunities mm-hmm. to then go ahead and pay for their groceries. So you're paying it forward, not just with your education, not just with your information, but also with your heart. So I think that's a win-win situation across the board and it's a testament to who you are. Yeah. Yeah. No, I appreciate that. Yeah. When I was younger, you know, I didn't have a lot of things. Um, it's not like a sob story or anything, but I never had things, you know? And so that's, that's why I ended up paying off the school lunch debt because I was a beneficiary of those, those free and discounted meals. And that was always something that I could appreciate in the mornings going to school. And so like when, when I give, I try to give, um, in ways that I can see the impact because that's what makes me feel good. You know, call me selfish, but like, I want to feel good in what I do. So, um, so it's always fun to see people go through. I, I couldn't tell, I would bet you I'm probably close to a dozen people that I was, um, they've never been on an airplane and never been to the beach. I've probably flown a dozen people that have never been on an airplane, never been to the beach on an airplane to the beach. 
of it because it's just it's just freaking awesome seeing people light up and lights you up. Yeah, that's definitely solid. So, I mean, you, you, you kind of brought your family into it a little bit. So, I mean, how do you juggle your work life with your family life? I mean, I think you have three kids, is it? Or two kids? Yeah, yeah, I got two boys and a daughter. Yeah, um, it's uh, so, the you know, kind of what we touched on before, like, growing up and not really having a lot like I wanted I wanted stability for my family so I always knew I'd be like family man and so that's that's when I kind of grinded it out in my earlier years because I didn't want to grind it out so much when I had kids and I certainly still grind it out more than the average person but it's it's very balanced and so like you know I'm I'm changing my my schedule now so I'll kind of answer it two ways the way it's historically been for the last 14 years is is I'd get up at like 5 a.m. and I'm not a morning person but I like getting a head start on the world. And I also felt like by the time we had kids, you know, the kids go to bed at, at wildly different times. And so I felt like if I tried to say, all right, I'm going to get in my two extra hours at 9 p.m. or 10 p.m., it just would never happen because sometimes the kids don't go to bed until 11.30. And so I felt like waking up earlier was better for me because I would get a head start on the day. It set the forward momentum. Um, it set the positive mindset for the day. And then like, my kids are always going to be asleep at that time. So I didn't feel like I was losing out on any potential time with them, but I haven't done that for long enough. Now my body's finally saying, all right, um, you know, you're a night person. Let's you, you, you've, you've earned this. Let's switch it up a little bit. And it's been really interesting. And, and when I say switching this up, I, I mean, very recently, like in the last two weeks. And so, um, I've been, I just threw my alarm clock out the window basically. And I'm, I'm going to bed whenever and then just sleeping in until whatever. I usually wake up around 7.30, 8.30 anyways because the kids. But, you know, before it would be like try to go to bed at 9.30, 10. Half the time that was really like 10.30, 11 and still get up at 5. And then um, lately, like in the, la in the last week, you know, with Halloween and we did a family Halloween party and then my kids have had other things like birthday parties to go do. And so I've had a couple late nights. And two nights in a row, I went to bed at 3 a.m., and I got up at eight and I, I was certainly tired for a little bit. I felt way better than the nights where I tried to go to bed at 10 and wake up at five. Um, so I guess it's kind of the same thing we were talking about earlier. Just, you know, be okay with the unknown and figure it out until you find what's right for you. So um, right now I'm switching it up and going more towards nights and, um, you know, the kids in the morning, I can still hang out with them for 30, 40 minutes before they go to school. But, but then I can hang out with them still in the evening. I, I call it a day at five. And so I can still call it a day at five, but now when they go to bed, then I can hang out and get an extra hour or two. Um, you know, our office phone shut off at five. I don't work weekends very rarely. The only time I work weekends is, is if the kids fall asleep and like, I can't just sit there and watch TV. So I'll go do extra work. Um, and kind of on the same note, um, I'm very protective of my private time. So I don't give my clients my cell phone number. Um, I don't have messenger on my phone. I don't have emails on my phone. And so when I check out, I, I try and check out. Nice. Nice. I mean, I think we're on two points. I mean, one is it's just diving into, like, I think I seen a post, I think it was like a Saturday night. It was like 10 o'clock. I think you were with the kids at like the skateboard park or something. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, it, yeah, so it's like to your point. I mean, it's really cool, but you know, obviously it was like late at night. It was like ten, eleven o'clock. I mean, hour time. So I guess you guys are what Central Time or Pacific? Ma I'm in Mountain, yeah. You're in Mountain Time. Got right between, like yeah. a couple hours behind us. Um, the other point is like you kind of dove into your morning habits a little bit. So, what are your your usual morning routines or your morning habits? It's a it's a funny answer because I am so processed, routine driven but I freaking suck on my own. So what happened was I used to have a really good routine, but um, three years ago I got an autoimmune condition and it just totally threw me out of my, my uh, routine. And I haven't been able to, that's, that's kind of why I'm experimenting now is so I can get back into a routine. Um, when I did, when I was really good about like a very structured routine, it was, um, it was wake up at five, stretch, do some light, workout stuff for 20 minutes, um, and then do a legit workout for 30, 40 minutes, um, shower by then it's like six, six thirty. work for an hour before the kids wake up, spend an hour with them. If it's the summertime and it's decent weather, then I'd walk the kids to school. Um, but now where it's getting like colder, then I'll just, you know, drive them and then come back. And then I'd work, um, until, until three thirty when the kids would get home, take 20, 30 minutes off, hang out with kids for a minute and then 
and then just go squeeze in one more hour and then call it a day at five. So I used to really do the workouts in the morning. And, um, you know, for me, uh, like I either have, I have to do my workouts in the morning or it just doesn't happen. And so that's always been hard because I don't, want to work out in the morning <laughs> but if i don't it doesn't happen so i'm trying to figure that one out got it got it so unusual but you wake up like around you're saying either 5 30 or 7 30 is somewhere in as your usual well uh, prior to two weeks ago it was always 5 5 30 yeah um in the last two weeks it's more like 7 38 cool cool so what do you see yourself in your company in 20 years um i will be long gone <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, you know, it's interesting because I've had, uh, we, we've got to a point where, um, you know, I really want to spend time. My oldest kid is nine and, um, I really want to spend even more time with them while I can. And so part, it's a hard thing I'm trying to figure out. Like part of me, um, I absolutely love what I do. I absolutely love my team. So I'm really having a hard time deciding like, okay, do I, hire do i keep the business and hire somebody to replace me and then i check out for five or ten years and spend that time with my kids um and just you know loosely manage the company but still have it or do i get out do i exit and then figure out something new in five ten years so um i don't i don't know but like i said earlier i'm okay not knowing i you know i'll figure out what's right when the time is right nice nice so i think this goes back to a little bit earlier you were talking about tools and software what tools would you recommend or tools that you use on a day-to-day basis you would not be able to do what you do without i i use so my team the way we manage all our projects is in a crm called insightly um so that's super valuable um i personally use uh i have a mac and an iphone and so i use an app called things and things will connect it's a task manager that connects from your phone to your to your laptop and so what's nice about this is like you know how you're like sitting in bed at night and you're like oh i gotta remember this thing i gotta remember this thing like i just punch it in my phone so i can forget about it clear my mind and then when i wake up it's like right on my desktop so things is huge for me because throughout the day like i'll just throw things in there all the freaking time and then i can clear up my mental bandwidth nice. so things is important um my, I don't have anything that's like rocket science or super amazing. I think um, it's just how you use the tools and, and how to maximize them. You know, all my team. So I have a team of 20, um, half of them are in the States, half of them are overseas, and, and we just simply use Skype. Um, so I think it's just finding the right processes that, that you can use that's right for you. Nice, nice. I think we obviously share, I mean, now that I'm talking, this is the first time, you know, for our viewers, this is the first time I think you and I have actually had a physical conversation Mm-hmm. It's kind of like just text or chat or, you know, yeah. social media. And it's the commonalities is, is uncanny, right? So, I mean, like my team is the same thing. We're about 15 to 16 and maybe about 30% is U.S. The other 70% is completely overseas. And mm-hmm. if you kind of just dive into that a little bit, cause like I, I got my own philosophies of why I like having a mixed team between national and international. What's mm-hmm. your, your purpose behind having a dual team? Well, I mean, it's kind of evolved. When I first got the team, it was obviously economics because overseas is is more cost effective. But um, when I realized the the ability to scale with quality control through documenting processes, just as a business owner, it just makes sense. And so what I did is I balanced it for for economics and quality control. But but among, after I give you this brief example, we can go into a whole bunch of other stuff about the overseas team. But um, so what I do now is is I have everything that we do at scale with the overseas team. And then I have the stateside team manage quality control because there's like little tiny nuances that are different in cultural and social understandings. And so we can, we've had amazing copywriters overseas, but there's always just like one little thing that stands out. And so we, we, all the copywriters now are stateside because the, it made more sense to pay more to have better streamlined quality control than to have to always look for those one weird little things that came from the otherwise good writing. Um, but then I've really, I've really found out the sweet spot and how to manage a remote team. So what's interesting before this year, um, my longest employee has been with me for 12 years. I've never had an employee quit. Um, I've certainly had to let some go, but I've never had an employee quit and I've never met any of them. And so, but this year was the first year I, I met 
the the team overseas and I still haven't met anybody in the States. And I would put the loyalty of my team up against anybody. I mean, to, to underscore that, I've had two of them ask me to be a godfather. I've had another one, which is a couple that have, they're the husband and wife are both on the team. Um, they asked me to be in their wedding, but at the time my wife was pregnant with her daughter. And so I didn't want to fly halfway across the world and leave her. And so I said, Hey, um, I super appreciate it. I just don't think I can make it happen. And so we joked about like a life-size cardboard cutout and they got a life-size cardboard cutout. So, I mean, it sounds hilarious because here, here I am like the six foot tall white dude towering over like five and a half foot Filipinos. And I'm just like this cardboard guy in a real freaking wedding line. But when you look past how hilarious that is, like the, the, the emotional commitment that they made that we made to each other to be able to even consider that, I mean, that says a lot. So, um, I've, I've really kind of at now, nowadays I don't have, it's not about economics necessarily. Um, that's certainly a business advantage, but, um, most of the time when we add new team members, it's because we've grown enough and then somebody else on the team says, Hey, I know, I, I know somebody that can solve this pain point for us. And then they just kind of refer them. Nice. Nice. So words of wisdom, let's say I'm a new entrepreneur, I'm stepping onto the scene and I want to step into your market space. What words of wisdom would you give to me to help me grow and scale? A couple of things come to mind. Um, the first thing is just start. Like I, so many people overthink everything. And then what happens is when you start, all of it goes out the window anyway. So why don't you just start? <laughs> like you can make the most perfect business plan. It doesn't mean anything once you actually start. So just start. And then equally important is not to stop because you're going to run into some hurdles. And just like you talked about, it takes 10 years, 20 years, whatever. And I don't want people... I remember one time I made a post on LinkedIn and um, it was about kind of like you asked, like how long did it take to get to these certain points? So I kind of talked about my journey and, and I, I must've made a comment specifically about 10 years because fast forward a couple of months and somebody else that I engaged with on LinkedIn said something and, and in her comments, she's like, I appreciate your support. And man, I remember you made this post saying it took 10 years and I was so discouraged. Um, and so what I told her was it may take 10 years to hit a grand slam, but it doesn't take 10 years to hit a home run. Like you can get to a sweet spot in way less than 10 years. But like if you're willing to put in 10 years, you can really accomplish just about anything. So um, just be comfortable figuring it out as you go. And, and honestly, don't listen to other people's advice, including my own. <laughs> <laughs> just get out there and do it. Yeah. Great, great. So, I mean, how can people find? I mean, you're you're a big web guy, right? So, I mean, what's what's your social profiles, your website, Instagram, Facebook account? Yeah. Um, so, I'm mostly active on Facebook and LinkedIn. Uh, you can just find it by my name, D A M O N B U R T O N. I am on Instagram and Twitter, but it's uh, more like repurposed content. So, I just share little bits and stuff. It's not so much me me. Um, but if you want to check out some of the blogging stuff I do about entrepreneurism, you can check out DamonBurton.com. And then the book that you held up, um, if you want a physical copy, it's on Amazon or I have free PDFs at freeseobook.com. Nice, nice. So we're going to go to the bonus round, right? So this is a question right. that I usually ask everybody just because the answers are always so uniquely different and the reasons behind them are always going to be completely unique as well. Okay. If you could spend 24 hours in one day with anybody, Dead or alive, who would it be and why? My wife. Love her. We've been together for 16 years and she's my best friend. This is so crazy. I, I literally just had another podcast like maybe two, three days ago. Asked him the mm. same question as answer with the same. And I was like, you're definitely not going to be able to sleep on the couch ever again. Like, hands down. It's never going to happen. <laughs> I've had no, people say, say MLK, say all these, these people, like, you know, people that are dead and gone, right? And yeah. someone says their wife. I mean, that's just a testament to who, who, who you're married to as well. So, I mean, I can yeah. thank you for that, right? Yeah, no, I'm super proud of her lately. You know, so we've been married for 14 years and together for 16. Um, and and I've I've never not been in love with her, and, and you know it's a bonus that she's super hot. But um, you know she's just the the most innocent person, and um, and she's really grown a lot in the last couple of weeks too. Like just trying to figure out who she is as an individual, and and so it's been really cool to see her grow. So yeah, nice, my nice. perfect. So bonus question wise, if money wasn't a factor, would you still be doing exactly what you're doing right now? 
Um, I, yeah, yes and no. Like, um, it's hard to answer because money is not what keeps me in it, but in my younger days, it was certainly an incentive. So I think if I didn't go through that, then I, then, then I don't know that I would be here. So there was a quote by, like, I think it was Jim Carrey a while back, and he said something like, I, I hope everybody finds success so they realize that it's not the answer. And, and like you, you have to figure that out on your own. Um, you have to go through that on your own. Um, everybody all day can say money doesn't solve everything. Everybody all day can say I have a mansion, but it doesn't make me happy. But like until you have all that stuff and feel it yourself, like you, you can't really change who you are or better understand who you are. So I don't know. I think I'd probably, um, I would hopefully have found some success in some other capacity and then ended up taking a similar journey where I'm happy with where I'm at, where I can start to give back. So I think I would have the same mental thought processes, but I, just, I don't know what I'd be doing. Nice. Nice. So this is the part of the, of the podcast where, you know, I pretty much give the microphone to my interviewee and, you know, what, what questions you may have for me? <sighs> Man, this one, you're putting me on the spot here. Um, well, I don't know. You got to. Well, we need to break this into a two-part question. So the first, the first question is: you need to bring me up to speed. What's your, what's your journey? So I better understand. So I can ask you a good question. So my journey, similar to yours, in the sense that I started off with graphic design was my first degree, and then after that, I got into web design and multimedia, and then I had a fork in the road where I got into financial services, got into you know more so wealth management, Series Six, um, insurances. And everything kind of came full circle at that point. That, at that point, I kind of felt like I had more of the business ingenuity behind the scenes. And I had the creative. And that's when I, you know, kind of was like I'm 50% analytical, 50% creative. And at that point in time, I came together and became more of a, a universal consultant at that point. You know, it's interesting you say that you're kind of the half left brain, right, right brain kind of thing. Um, because I think that's one of my superpowers too, is because you have to be able to translate, right? Um, because your customers are like, I want this thing, but they don't know that that thing means you have to like dissect this completely unrelated thing. And so um, I think that's, it's, it's very rare. Like I don't, as much as that would be awesome to find more people like you, it just, would you agree that it just never happens? So when I hire out my talent, I hire based on individual skill sets. Um, I would love unicorns, but I realize that they're pretty few and far between. <laughs> exactly. I mean, to, to your point, it's, it took me a while to realize what I'm, I started isolating people based upon what they want to do versus what I want them to do. So when I'm looking for somebody, yeah. somebody may say, Hey, I can do this. I'm like, okay, you can do this. This is what I'm going to pay you for. But what is it that you really want to do? You're the first person. I know other people think that, but you're the first person that I've heard say that. And I say the same thing um, when I go on other podcasts. So what I do is I'll hire, uh, I'll find the, the job candidates based on skill set, but I can find a million web designers, but I can't find a million web designers that I feel like I can trust, that I can feel like will adopt the company culture. And so I will, I will find the, the first round of job candidates based on skill set but I'll hire based on emotions. Yeah. And, and I'll ask him the same thing. I'm like, I'll, I'll say, what are you good at? And what do you like doing? Those are two different questions. And so then I'll say, okay, well, you know, if you like doing B, but you just want a job for A, um, I have enough demand for A. And then let's see how we can migrate you over time over to B though, because, and I think that's a big part of my team loyalties because I don't just make them do crap that they can do, but they hate doing, you know, I try and find the balance of how can they contribute to the company, but also feel like they are getting personal growth out of it as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, if I, to give you an example of that, I had one VA that I was working with and he was very studious in, in his work. And, and so I just kind of, you know, I do a lot of research and I just looked him up online, seen his background a little bit. And like, you're a like PHP developer. Like, why the hell are you doing VA work? And so mm. it, it kind of converted from him doing VA work into more web development, which is what he wants to do in the first place. Yeah. So it was just kind of like, I don't even know why the hell you promoted VA when you're a developer, man. If you're a developer, be a he developer. Needed a, he needed a job. Yeah. 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 Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, I definitely appreciate you taking the time, man. I mean, I think this is a great episode. Uh, to your point, we had a lot of highs and lows, right? Like this episode was like life itself, it was like highs and lows. Mm -hmm. 
some emotional roller coasters and some technology, a little bit of information, a little bit of who you are. And I just want to say thank you for, for being a guest on the show. Yeah, thanks, Essay. I appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Boss Uncage. I hope you got some helpful insight and clarity to the diverse approach on your journey to becoming an Uncaged Trailblazer. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and share the podcast. If this podcast has helped you or you have any additional questions, reach out and let me know. Email me at ask at sagrant.com or drop me your thoughts via a call or text at 762-233-BOSS. That's 762-233-2677. I would love to hear from you. Remember, to become a boss in cage, you have to release your inner beast. S.A. Grant, signing off. Listeners of Boss and Cage are invited to download a free copy of our host, S.A. Grant's insightful ebook, Become an Uncaged Trailblazer. Learn how to release your primal success in 15 minutes a day. Download now at www.bossuncaged.com forward slash free book.